How well do you know your medical staff? What does it take to keep them motivated and working hard? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. And with me today is Judy Capco, founder of Capco & Company and author of the popular book, Secrets of the Best Run Practices. Judy has specialized in medical practice operations and marketing for more than 20 years. She is a certified risk management specialist, and her emphasis is on building patient-centered strategies and valuing staff's contribution. Today, we're going to talk about how to mold a motivated, productive staff. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Judy, there's a lot of turnover in the medical industry. Is it more than others, or is it unique to a doctor's office? Well, I don't think it's unique to a doctor's office, but we certainly do struggle in the medical practice to deal with a changing environment for staff and keeping our staff motivated and challenged. Well, do you think over the last 20 years that staffing issues have changed, or is it just it's just the way it is in a small business? Well, that's an excellent question, and I think it's probably a little bit of both. Certainly, it's changed a great deal in terms of the environment that our employees work in. You know, there's more frustrations, and there's more to deal with in terms of patients' attitudes, and also in the attitudes of coworkers and the people they work with. Some of it's generational and some of it's environmental, so I think it's a lot to deal with, but it's not the same as it was years ago when you had a staff that worked for years with you, and when you had turnover, it was unusual. Now we have a continual rolling staff, and it's, it makes for challenges, and it makes for more expensive operations to continually train people and replace them. And it's sad every time we lose a family member, because it is like a small family. We spend more time with these people than we do with our own families. It's sad for the existing staff, it's difficult for the physician, and it also affects our patients. Unfortunately, though, the only thing that's constant in life is change. So we either embrace it or we're devastated every year or two. I have a small practice, and I think I have a pretty good barometer of my staff's morale. I can tell when things are going wrong. I can smell it in the wind. I can you know, see it in their behavior. I can see the pettiness increasing. But are there certain signals out there that, let's say, a physician who's so busy working can pay attention to so that he can, you know, see that this is a problem before it blows up? Oh, absolutely. I think we need to look for, is there conflict among the troops? Are they getting along together? You know, can we all get along? That's a real good question. How do you get 18 women to get along? <laughs> it can be done. It can be done. It's but, virtually uh, impossible. No, not really. They can get along. Well, first of all, you have to come back around, you know, what's the environment they're working in. When things are going smooth in the office, everybody gets along, right? It's when the difficulties emerge and they escalate. I got to tell you this. Last week, one of my part-time nurses took my other part-time nurse's screensaver off. It was a picture of her son, and she went catatonic. She went ballistic and went to every manager in the company and every owner and is just was devastated that someone could do that. And, and for a week, she was you know crying all the time. Well, and didn't that affect everyone else in the office? Absolutely. It has a ripple effect. Which brings me to a really good point. When you start to have one situation, it, you really do have to nip it in the bud. You have to bring that person in. Let them rage out at one person, their manager, or even bring in the person that has caused them what they think is a devastating situation. But don't allow it to permeate through the entire group. Don't let it fester. Oh, it festers terribly, and efficiency goes down tremendously. Patients become affected by it, and you just can't allow it. You have to stop it. But you don't stop it by telling someone to stop. You have to listen to them, validate them, and help them understand that it's not the end of the world. 
and that they need to go on with life. Every Friday at 1 o'clock, I play psychiatrist to the staff. I let them all come in and just whoever needs to vent and just bitch and moan for a half hour. And then I don't say a thing and they leave and they say thank you. (laughs) And that's all they need. That's very interesting. Well, they must really not have a, a hugely valid complaint or it wouldn't go away that easily. But it's kind of talking about what you're saying is everyone needs a place where they can go and vent or regurgitate and kind of get it out of their system. Yeah, they need to be heard. I got a question for you, Judy. How do you pick a good employee in the first place? We think we do a good job. We interview them a gazillion times and we ask them all these things and then we hire them and it's almost like dating. Everybody misrepresents themselves and then the truth comes out as soon as you're married. Absolutely. Well, if I had the solution to that, I'd be rich. (laughs) You know, in reality, we just do the best we can when we're doing the interviewing. But I think we need to be real clear when we start to interview an employee and start to look at who we are hiring and not try to delude ourselves in terms of what that individual is capable of. So I think we need to look first at what kind of an application do they present. And, Dr. Caskell, that becomes far more challenging when you don't have a lot of candidates knocking on your door. You know, when you're just waiting for those resumes to come in, you end up with only three of them, and you've got an employee that's leaving in a week, it's a far greater challenge. You don't have so many candidates to choose from. You may need to lower your expectations. You may need to provide additional training. Whereas if you have 20 candidates, you can weed through them and and pick the highest level ones. I think we need to recognize to look at some very objective monitors. How well does a person fill out an application form? If their spelling's bad, if they don't take the time to do it well, if they're not dressed appropriate, those are all signals that, you know, you don't want to go there. So don't even take it any further. If they're a little late for the interview, if they're going to be on the telephones and when you talk to them on the phone to schedule the interview, you don't even like the sound of their voice, why are we going there? So, you know, define for yourself, how do you want this person to represent you in the practice and work with the coworkers? And if you don't see those first signs, even if they have great technical skills, you're going to have a difficult challenge. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking to Judy Capco, founder of Capco and Company and author of the book Secrets of the Best Run Practices. We're talking about how to mold a motivated and productive staff. Judy, there have been staff that I've hired and... I was a little disappointed at their interview because they either had on too much makeup or they had a pierced eyebrow or a pierced tongue, and I hired them nonetheless because the resumes were wonderful, and they turned out to be fantastic employees, but yet I was kind of, you know, I get fooled all the time. It's not easy. Well, that's very fortunate that you have had an experience where they've turned out to be fantastic employees. I think it's a personal choice, and it certainly depends on where they're working in the office, if they're working directly with the patients, if they're working behind a computer, you know, what appearance has to do with it. But I think that when we see indicators early on that aren't the ideal candidate to represent us, I think we need to really probe very hard during that interview and be very fair. We certainly want to be fair to whoever we're interviewing, but how will they fit in with the rest of the employees is is a critical, important tool. And, Larry, one of the things I like to suggest is when I've interviewed someone in an office, And I think they might be a good fit. I'm not 100% sure. Actually, you're never 100% sure. But I'll bring in... uh, Do a trial run. Right. Well, I'll bring in members from the team. When I'm finished with that interview, I'll say, I'd like you to meet a couple of people Mm -hmm. that you'd be working with. Right. And then you get their opinion. And it really helps because when you wrap up that interview and you talk to the existing employees, how they feel about that person is really important. Right. It's good to have their buy-in. Right. And it also feeds to a culture that values your existing employees, that we care what you think of this individual. It's really wonderful. I think it has a lot of power. Moving on with that same idea, 
How do you instill in a staff the sense of ownership when they do not own the practice? They punch a clock, and for them it's just a job. But for the doctors, it's our life, it's our meaning, it's you know our self-respect, and it's very hard to make someone else feel that way if it's not their practice. Is there a trick I'm missing? Well, I don't think it's all that difficult. I think it's difficult for 10% of the people. They just aren't interested. A job is just a job to them. And there are some generational changes as well. But I think how we overcome that feeling that you have there, Dr. Caskell, is to get their buy-in in terms of valuing their contribution to the practice and recognizing that they impact the practice's future. I think we have to communicate expectations. We have to involve them in the decision-making. And we need to involve them in the business side of the practice. I can remember years ago in my first job in a medical office, you know, I didn't have a clue what the doctor's expectations were, where this practice wanted to be five years later or, or next year. What were their goals for the following year? And I was very curious, obviously. That's how I ended up doing what I'm doing for a living. But I thought, you know, why aren't they sharing information with us? And then I remember having a meeting with the manager and saying, I'd sure like to know, mm-hmm. you know, how the practice is performing and, you know, what my contribution really means. And she goes, oh, well, we don't share, you know, any of the financial data. And I think there's a fear with physicians sometimes that, if staff knows how much revenue is coming in, they're going to expect more money or, you know, all these things that they think are real that aren't. Right. Involve the employees. Tell them, you know, last year our profits were exactly mm-hmm. what they were the year before, and we'd like to see them go up 5%. And we have some ideas. Maybe you have some ideas that can help us. And if we do well, well then we'll share the rewards. So if you involve them in that process and, again, share the rewards, have something that they gain out of that, you will be amazed at how they will start to come forward and take ownership of the practice. But they have to be heard. You have to give them information, involve them in the goal setting. And during that process, you'll also recognize your top performers and the ones that you know aren't necessarily they're just going along with the plan. So you will also, in that process, start to recognize all the strengths and contributions of your team as well as their weaknesses. Judy, how much information is too much information? You know, I think the doctors may be afraid that the staff is going to figure out their salaries. And does a doctor ever say, listen, this is what I make. This is what I made last year. And, you know, I've taken a 10% cut in salary and I haven't made any of you take a 10% cut. Can you help me out here? Well, I think that's a good rationale. I'm not sure we need to be terribly specific, but we can say, and again, it depends on who you're talking with. And I think your manager, if you have a strong manager, they can guide you in understanding how much information the employees can handle, which takes me to a really important point. The relationship between the doctor and the manager needs to be very strong in terms of clarity and in what your expectations are of staff and how that manager can help you achieve those. And managers that make excuses for staff or make excuses for themselves because of staff is not on the same team with you. And, you know, they just may not have the strength you need to take you to that next level. So I think that's important. And, and yes, you need to share information. You don't need to talk about your salary. But you can say, you know, there's 10% less that came in last year. That certainly affected my take-home pay. But be careful not to say, I didn't ask you to take a 10%. That puts them on the defensive. So you need to make sure not to put employees on the defensive, but to help them recognize that you are struggling and that there are issues that are coming down the pike and that, you know, let's just take uh, EMR, for example. Let them know that an investment in EMR, (laughs) to invest in that will cost you as much as one year's revenue. Mm -hmm. And over five years, you're going to spread that out. But how is that going to be economically feasible for the practice? I'm having a staff meeting when I leave here today, and I think I'm going to start 
educating the children, so to speak, how much it costs to run the family, because I think they're clueless as to how much rent is. They're clueless as to how much a vaccine is that they just throw out accidentally and don't realize that it all adds up and they can make more money if we make more money. You've just answered the question. You really have, because it is educating them, informing them, and letting them know that if by changing these things, we will have more money to spread around. And uh, they haven't a clue. And they really, they see, you know, how much you charge for a visit, and some of them will multiply that in their heads. Right. Boy, there's a lot of money coming through this practice, and they don't understand a lot's going back out the other end. Yeah, they have to know what actually comes in and what actually overhead is and what it means, and I don't think many do. I think they are kept in the dark. Judy Capco, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, and I look forward to working with you in the future. I'd like to thank our guest, Judy Capco, founder of Capco & Company and author of Secrets of the Best Run Practices. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our new on-demand and podcast features.